week when Evan rides a bike up stage and does a flip. <laughs> that would be really awesome. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope you did uh, have a better prayer life this past week because you learned last week that prayer is like breathing. You breathe in the presence of God and the world squeezes down on you and you just exhale, but you just breathe it back in and that your whole week was this rhythm of breathing in the presence of God. Well, today we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, specifically your spiritual gift. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, um, there is that side of the equation over here and you have never discovered your gift, so you're frustrated by your gift. You don't even really be, uh, think that you have one because you haven't been able to discern it. And you've just kind of resigned yourself that you don't know what it is and you're just going to go through life and it's going to be okay. And then on the other side of the pendulum or the equation is you're over here and you're really fixated on gifts uh, your gift, and, and you just, you're just always focusing on that, and, and, and you're going to do your service based on your gift, and, and really, in between, there's a lot of confusion about spiritual gifts, and I hope today that we're going to kind of clear some of that up. Now, here's a fact. Scripture says that you have been given a spiritual gift if you've been born again. In fact, there's a passage out of Corinthians. It's worth reading, and so you have your Bibles, let's turn there. It is not our main text, but I hope you pick up what Paul is saying in this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to just pick it up at verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, because Paul knew that there were some people in the Corinthian church that were way over-focused on their gifts, and some that, well, they didn't think they had it because they didn't have these showy gifts over here. And so it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, here it is, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone has a gift that has been given. It's not the gift of salvation. This is in addition to that. This is a gift for the body of Christ, for the common good of the building up of the, of the body of Christ. And then in verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, that are languages, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Catch what he said in that last phrase. You don't get to decide what gift you get. You are given one, but it is the Lord, the Spirit, that gives you whatever gift it's going to be. 
Now, part of the obstacle we face about our spiritual gifts is sometimes we think that our spiritual gift is, is, is like a Christmas present. And God just has this gift, and He just hands it to you, and you just unwrap it, and, and it's, a, it's a done deal. It's, it's more like a Christmas present. And they say, ah, oh, look, here, here's my gift. This is my area of service, and that's what I'm going to now go do. Now that I've been given the gift, I have unwrapped it, and I see what it is, now I'm going to go do that service. But it doesn't exactly happen that way. Uh, that's why some people get frustrated about their gift, or sometimes they never even discover it. Part of our passage today is Romans chapter 12, and it talks. So there, there's only four places in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, and we just read one of them. The other passage that's the longer passage, or, or as, not as long, but one of the longer ones, is Romans chapter 12. But we have to remember, before we talk about the gifts, Romans 12.1 says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. And so one of the things that we have to understand before we even talk about the text on spiritual gifts is God says, first you've got to be committed. You've got to be holy. You've got to be a living sacrifice. You've got to be sold out to Jesus before we even get to the spiritual gifts. And we'll get there in a moment. We're going to turn to Romans. Because God doesn't hand you a gift wrap, package, and then say, okay, go. The first thing is commitment and sacrifice, being sold out, living for Jesus. And then as you journey in your commitment, you serendipitously discover your spiritual gift. It's not an unwrapping. It's more of a dawning. But without verse 1 in our text, spiritual gifts just don't happen. I, I, let, let me use it, a, a, or give it a different example. I'm going to let this box of butter represent your spiritual gift. Okay? Uh, David, can I use you for a second? David, I'm going to have you stand on the other side of the table right over there. And this is your spiritual gift, and I'm giving it to you. Well, not so fast. Because I just said that God doesn't hand us this package like on Christmas morning. No, David, it's, it's stay right there. It's, it's more like this. We want you to have a spiritual gift. But it doesn't come packaged. You know, based on you, we're not going to give you this one. That's an awfully big gift. I'm going to give you a different kind of gift. I'm going to pour in the cream. Now, if you work what I've given you already, guess what's going to happen to that cream? Oh, don't expect it to turn into butter. <laughs> but I want you to grab the concept because it will make a huge difference in your life. 
we think God's going to hand us a finished product. We unwrap it. We say, oh, I know where I'm supposed to go serve, and now I'll go serve. But God says, there's butter in here. Your gift is in here. And I want you to be first committed to me. I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want you to be a living sacrifice. And as you work that out in your life, guess what happens to you? You start making butter. You, your spiritual gift starts becoming very evident. And, it, and suddenly, you have butter. And you, and you know what your gift is. Thank you, David. You can have a seat. I don't know how many of you actually have used one of these before, have you? One, two, three, four. It's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work. But because of verse 1 in Romans chapter 12, God's given us sweet cream and we're supposed to just be committed to Him. We want God sometimes to give us a gift, and then we'll go serve. And God says, no, I want you to just serve me, and then the gift will become apparent. You know, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Rudy. I like the movie Rudy. It's about a young boy who's undersized, but he wants to play football for Notre Dame. And he gets to play one one play after Four years of just giving his entire heart. And if you were to say, what is Rudy's gift? Let's just spiritualize the movie for a second and say, what is Rudy's gift? And some people would say, well, it's his tenacity. No, his tenacity revealed his gift, but his gift was, man, he was a huge encouragement to that team. He had the gift of encouragement, let's say, but it never would have showed up if he hadn't been committed to the football team. You know how we discover our gift? Man, we just love Jesus. And we serve Him and work and we do all sorts of things. And suddenly, God starts churning our lives. And suddenly, this butter starts coming to the top or, or sticking to the sides, really. And suddenly, we go, oh, I see. I see what my gift is. In fact, I have a slide for you to look at. I want my gift first. And then I'll go discover serving. And that's wrong. First, just go serve. Anywhere and everywhere and all the time. And suddenly, your gift starts appearing. And then you know, oh, this is, this is my gift. But you don't discover it unless you just go out and serve. Now, our text is in Romans chapter 12. So turn in there with me. And we're going to pick it up at verse 3. Before we get there, I want to go on just a little tangent. We're going to unpack this section in, in three parts. But some get godly character traits confused with spiritual gifts. Gifts are for the building up of the body, for the church. But all Christians are to love. All Christians are to share Christ, not just those that have the gift of evangelism. All Christians are to show hospitality. All Christians are to have compassion on the downtrodden. All Christians are supposed to tithe. We're supposed to live generously. All Christians are to pray. Now, your spiritual gift can be in conjunction with those things, with your God-given talent. 
but your spiritual gift is spiritual. And it will build up the body of Christ. It will be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters around you. It will do something for the kingdom. Now, let's look at verse 3. It follows just on that. Hey, you've got to be committed. You've got to be a living sacrifice. That is your spiritual act of worship or your spiritual service. And then beginning at verse 3, it says this. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. Let's just stop right there and tell you what the fill in the blank is. Your spiritual gift is given to you, so check your ego at the door. Don't be like the Corinthians church that were all in love with the showy gifts and really despise the, the ones that Paul later on elevates. Check your ego at the door. It says that we're to have sober judgment, to realize that in ourselves, it's, it's not because of us. It, it is because of God working in you, whatever your gift is, do not allow pride to get in and say, well, look what I can do. Because God's the one that gave it to you, so he's the one that gets the glory. We can be used for God's glory through the gift he gave us, and that is wonderful and awesome. But you have to rightly judge yourself. That doesn't mean that you think yourself as a doormat, and it doesn't mean that you're this awesome, wonderful person. Somewhere in between, God says, I want you to think, that's what the whole judgment is, the, the, the word means to think, to evaluate your own life and to have sober judgment. If, if you're not good at teaching, don't pretend to be good at teaching because you like the teaching gift. Say, so, you know, I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't have the gift of, of this or that, even though I like it and I wish that I had it. No, I just don't do that well at that particular thing in the body of Christ. And so I need to think rightly about my talents, my personality, but most importantly, about that gift and not to pursue something that I, I don't have. Really, that's not humility. When you seek after something that's glamorous because it's up front, and some people, because they don't like their gift, they take their ball and go home. They just say, well, I don't have a flashy gift, so I'm not going to serve. And that's just a really immature attitude. Every one of us has a spiritual gift. Are you exercising it? Have you taken the time? And, and, and I know that they can be very confusing when we do spiritual gift in, inventories and I don't particularly like spiritually, uh, spiritual gift inventories that ask you a bunch of personal questions to kind of narrow things down. They're okay. They may be a general help. But really, if we just go and love Christ and serve people and love people and jump into all sorts of things, God's going to stir and reveal your, your real gift to you. Now let's go on in our text, verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
And so we, through many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Many strands make one cord, and everyone is needed. That's the fill in the blank. Everyone is needed. When people say, I don't know what my gift is, I'm not going to serve until I know my gift because I don't want to fail. Some of us have real adverse reaction trying our hand at something and failing because we we somehow think it's a, a part of who we are. That failure is, is us instead of just the thing that we tried to do. And so instead of trying a whole multitude of things and then being okay with that sober judgment, say, you know, I'm not very good at this, and I'm going to move on and keep trying. But everyone is needed. Nobody can just be on the sidelines. Many strands make one cord. And so in our entire church body, If there are those of us that say, well, you know, I don't want to try anything because I might fail. I might not like it. Don't let that stop you. It's okay to fail. Can you say that? It's okay to fail. Well, I guess you can't. Say it with me. It's okay to fail. Because that just means you now know not to do this, but there's going to be another thing because God promised you that you have a gift. Don't you want to find it? And the fear of failure may stop you in your tracks. And so we have a church of 400 people that come every Sunday or thereabouts, but some aren't using their spiritual gifts because they're afraid of failing. And God says, no, 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 you're needed. I purposely have given you something that this body needs. And if you sit on the sideline, the church gets weaker. And so go discover your gift. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to go into the toddler room and after one week, go to Mr. Evan and say, Mr. Evan, I quit. Because I, I can't do that. That's okay. But don't also say, well, I've put in my time. I'm not going to serve anymore. I I put in my time, baby. Well, if you have the attitude that you were just putting in time, then you're Romans 1. I mean, chapter 12, verse 1, being a living sacrifice, wasn't a sacrifice. You're You're just putting in time. That wasn't very honoring. Because you will you will continue to do and use your gift. It may change a little the way it's applied but once you have a spiritual glyph it's never taken away and god expects you to use it until the moment that you meet him in the air or he calls you home to glory he wants you to be busy it may not work the same way when you're 20 as opposed to when you're 80 it will be a little different the way it's applied the application but but don't say oh i put in my time That is not a statement you want to tell God. You do not want to stand in front of him and say, you know, I put in my time with those toddlers, and I'm done. Well, find something else that is towards your gifting. But don't stop serving. Don't stop using your gifting. One horse in the harness, 
It's rough sledding. Many horses in the harness, and you can move forward. You can do great things for the kingdom when everybody's doing what they're designed to do. Well, let's go back to the text. It says this, beginning at verse 6, Having given according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's the fill in the blank, and, and at first it's going to seem a little obtuse or, or weird. Here, here's the fill in the blank. Signs, speaking, and serving gifts. Basically, out of the four passages that are in the New Testament, the gifts are categorized broadly by either being gifts of signs, gifts of speaking, or gifts of serving. Now, Corinthians, that mentions the sign gifts, was written in 54 A.D. Now, you might not think that's very important, but I think it comes in, into pass. Because I, I don't want to be dogmatic about this, but historically speaking, the sign gifts started to decrease as time moved away from the eyewitness generation of Jesus. That's just historical. It's not, it's not what I, I'm reading into the text or not reading into the text. It is just what has actually happened in the second and third, fourth generations of the early church. The sign gifts started to just disappear. They weren't handed out as often as they were in the beginning. And there's reasons. I believe there are reasons. Romans was written four years after Corinthians, and you notice in our Romans text, it doesn't mention anything about miracles of healing and, and miracles uh, in, in general like the Corinthians passage. Well, 2 Corinthians kind of gives us a clue as to why. The following book, 2 Corinthians says this, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. So the signs of a true apostle accompanied the twelve with miraculous things. Then in Hebrews it says this, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, those eyewitnesses, by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Mark tells us that, the apostles went out and preached in the name of Jesus and did mighty miracle works. Now here's where it gets historical. Within 20 years of 1 Corinthians being written about the signs, every apostle except for John is going to be murdered for their faith. And maybe more importantly, the New Testament is written. See, the church, the early church didn't have this document. It didn't have the living, breathing word of God. And so they needed the Spirit to be able to speak to every congregation. Now, the Holy Spirit still speaks, but instead of using you to speak, He's using this to speak. Well, to put it this way, by and large, the sign gifts that authenticated 
the apostles' message died with the first generation. Now, I'm not going to limit what God's going to do today. Are there miracles? Yes, there are. But they come primarily through prayer. So everybody can be involved in it. We can, we can all be involved, if you want to say, in the, in the gift of healing because we all have access to prayer. Instead of saying, no, that person has the gift of healing, so if that person has the gift of healing, why are our hospitals still full? Well, maybe, again, what were the reasons signs existed? To authenticate the message. That's what it told us in Hebrews. That's what it told us in Corinthians. It was to authenticate this. And now that we have this, the need for signs is not the same. We don't have to have it, but we still need healings, and we can still pray. And people are still being delivered, delivered from addiction, delivered from, from all sorts of illnesses and sickness because of prayer, and it's available to us all. Now, I bring all of this up. Oh, Ephesians is written in 61 AD, and it doesn't mention any gifts about signs. 1 Peter is written in 64 A.D. Those are the four passages. It mentions nothing about signs. So even in 54 A.D. when signs are first mentioned in 10 years, they're not even written about anymore because they started to fall off because the apostles were dying and the New Testament was being written. And I bring all this up to make this point. Whether regardless if it's 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, or 1 Peter, gifts are not self-centric. The gifts aren't about you. They're Christ-centric. They center around Christ. They don't center around us. That's a big difference from self-centric to Christ-centric. They're all about the body of Christ and, the, and being lifted up and, and, and growing and maturing. Paul said to the Corinthians, if you really want to covet or, or be zealous or desire, put on a pedestal. The thing you ought to go after is love. That's what needs to. Because in time, tongues will cease. In times, prophecy will cease. In times, knowledge will cease. It will fail. Now, let's talk about prophecy for a moment. Because prophecy isn't part of the science gifts. It's part of the speaking gifts. What is prophecy? Do you have the gift of prophecy? Have you ever thought, maybe, maybe I have the gift of prophecy? Because prophecy doesn't mean necessarily foretelling the future. It means that you are speaking the words of the Lord to others to help bring them back to the Lord or to the Lord for the first time. Do you realize an Old Testament prophet rarely spoke foretelling events, but mostly wrote about history and telling the people, come back to the Lord Come back to the Lord. You're worshiping idols. Come back to the Lord. And so prophecy is, is a speaking gift, not a sign gift, because it's about bringing people to the Lord and explaining the Bible to them. And so you might have that gift. You might have the gift of prophecy. We have to change our thinking then about the gift and I don't know, I'm, I'm out of time, and, and you can read the text about the seven general areas, and I think there are a whole lot more. I think that Paul just rattled off these, and his point was, whatever your gift is, use it. Whatever your gift is, use it. 
But we have to change our, our thinking about our gift. Wrong way of thinking is, is my gift is a square peg and it only fits in certain holes. As if your gift had hard edges and you were looking for the perfect fit. And until you find the perfect fit, you're not going to do anything. No, your gift can be used in any ministry in a variety of ways. And it's unique to you because of your personality and your preference and your, your traits. Gifting can be used all over the place in the church. It's not a narrow niche or, or niche. It's just not. Administration is used in all ministries. Teaching is used in all ministries. Service is used in all ministry. Exhortation is used all over the church. All those areas that he mentioned are used in, in such a variety of ways. So don't get locked in that you think that you have this gift and it only fits that size hole. That's not, that's not the way it works. In fact, it's, it's more broad, much broad. L- look at these phrases that will kind of give you the concept I'm trying to help you to see. Right way of thinking is my gift is like clay. It can be made into all shapes and sizes in the church, but it's clay. Or right way of thinking, my gift is like batter. It could be made into all sorts of cakes, shapes and sizes. Or maybe you're like flowers. You can be made into any kind of arrangement there's such versatility with, with your gift. It can be used in so many areas. Forget the idea that you have this. Think of it as this that can be used here and here and here and here and here. Or the last one is this. Right way of thinking is like your wood. And you could be made into all sorts of shapes and sizes. I read a quote this week. I can't tell you who I, I read it from because I didn't make the notation in my notes. But this is what the author said. You may never know your gift. So what? Bible speaks about being faithful in your service, not you must know exactly your gift. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish from God-given talent, God-given spiritual gift, And let's throw in maybe the most important aspect of it all, the Holy Spirit. When all those three are working together, it's really hard to dissect. And that's why we just come over here and we just churn away and we just churn away and churn away. And pretty soon at the end of our life, we look back and say, wow, now I can see my gift. Now that I'm nearly dead, I can see my gift. You know, Mother Teresa never thought she had a gift. I read that somewhere. I looked for it today, but I did find, not today, but I looked for it this week. But here's an interesting quote that she has. Many people mistake our work for our vocation. Our vocation is the love of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? She is so consumed with loving Jesus that she just kept cranking and cranking and cranking and cranking and cranking and cranking. And everybody saw the butter. She didn't. He said, I'm not focused on the butter. I'm focused on the, on the giver. I'm focused on love. And so you don't have to be overly concerned about, oh, I don't know my spiritual gift. Be overly concerned that you're churning out for Jesus, that, that you're just loving him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. One last quote. 
Gifts are not the finished products. Gifts are the raw materials that when worked, oh, they bring glory to God. They bring glory to God. The butter is in the cream. Be a living and holy sacrifice and you will get butter. Paul used them, or that's what he's telling us. Use them, use them, use them. Go out, live, be the living, holy sacrifice. Use them. And one last thing, stay away from labels. Don't label yourself. If you label yourself or have somebody else label you, it's, oh, this is your gift, it, it might be wrong. Gifts kind of overlap a little in, in, in certain areas. And, and so don't accept a label. Just go and, and, and serve with all your heart. That's why spiritual inventories are okay, but sometimes they're very misleading. And you're waiting for that exact niche to go serve. Don't. Just go and love the Lord. Defining a spiritual gift by a particular task is really, really narrow. So here, let's sum it up. You have a gift. Be a holy and living sacrifice sold out to Jesus. Your gift will emerge as you get involved in the church. It's been said that God only directs moving vehicles. And if your vehicle's not moving, it's hard to make a course correction. But if your vehicle's moving, doing all sorts of things, God will direct you to your gift. He will. He gave it to you. He wants you to know it. But it's only going to happen because He... We'll do it through a moving pool. And the fourth is your gift is Christ-centric. It is to be used to strengthen, build, and grow the body of Christ. Here's our core value number 10. Your spiritual gift is to be used for the church. That's, that's it. Some people, they seek a gift. But I want you to go beyond seeking a gift. That's secondary. The first thing is seeking the gift giver. And when you seek the gift giver, your life is just going to pour out all sorts of butter, if I can continue to use that analogy. You, you will be amazed at how your spiritual gift is used. If you forget that you have one and just in the back part of your mind and you just move forward and you just give Jesus your all and you give him all that you've got, suddenly you're going you're gonna to see it. The first thing you have to do is give yourself to the Lord. And maybe today's a day of rededication for you. Maybe you've been frustrated because you have never been able to determine what your spiritual gift is. And I'd encourage you then just love Jesus all the more. Serve in all areas. Put your hand. Don't be afraid of failing. And suddenly you're going to find that one gift that can be used throughout the church. First, give yourself to the Lord. I'm going to ask that you stand and sing the song with us.
Please be seated. Excellent thoughts, Rob. Thank you. We've often told our worship team, you know, our worship up here ought to be an overflow of what we're doing in private. This is not a show. We don't love to worship the Lord each day in different places. Then don't come up on stage and do it. Just let it be you. You know, give the Lord what he's, he deserves. This morning, he's given his very best in Jesus Christ. We're going to meet around this table.